1: The circle starts again. I watched the mountains rise from dust, saw the gold return to rust. I had cried when the oceans died, and the circle starts again.
0: again and welcome to the Shaman's Brew. This is Marcus Leader, and if you've heard the last couple shows you will know that I have been restructuring the Shaman's Brew and uh, also incorporating it. The process is uh, just about complete and I, I plan on releasing a new format for the shows in July. I have also been on a couple expeditions uh, in Nevada, near the uh, Colorado River, where we discovered evidence of an earlier Viking expedition that uh, must have sailed up the Colorado centuries ago. Uh, I will be talking about uh, those findings and uh, and more about that uh, expedition to a sacred canyon in uh, some shows in July. I've also recently returned. From a vision quest on uh, the side of Mount Rainier. An active volcano is in Washington State near Seattle. This is the volcano that Native American prophecy believes will erupt in the sometime in the near future and destroy Seattle. Uh, That's not why I was there. I was there because this is the point where or the place where many of my shamanic teacher teachings with uh, Dr. Castaneda took place. And um, I was going there to uh, continue and to actually go on a vision quest there. And I'll be talking about that too and what happened. Uh, and also um, these shows will appear sometime in July. In tonight's show, I'm going to play for you uh, an older interview with an amazing man uh, who is at the cutting edge of theoretical physics. Uh, His name is uh, Dr. Tiller. Uh, Dr. Tiller has been a professor in the Department of Material Science and Engineering at Stanford University from 1964 to the present, and chairman of that department from 1966 to 1971. As professor emeritus He has been actively involved in research at Stanford since January of 92. He has been a consultant to the government and industry in the fields of metallurgy and solid-state physics, and is an associate editor of two scientific journals. He has published more than 250 scientific papers, three technical books, and has five patents issued In his conventional science area, fields of specialization are crystal growth, surfaces and interfaces, physical metallurgy, semiconductor processing, thin film formation, and computer simulation. He has also been an associate editor for the Journal of Holistic Medicine and has published more than 70 additional papers as well as three other books. Tonight, he will be talking about uh, one of his books called Some Science Adventures with Real Magic. And this is an older interview conducted by Future Talk Radio that uh, it turned out to be a really great interview. And I'd like to share this with you. I, I plan on having uh, more shows, uh, possibly live show in the future, on this topic. So with that, I present to you Doctor William Tiller being interviewed by Future Talk Radio. Future, future, future Talk. <laughs> and now, Future Talk with Zohara Hieronymus.
1: Quite a surprise for me to be on a journey where, where I ultimately came to realize that science and spirituality are two sides of the same evolving coin. I see consciousness as growing in the universe. You are part of a very large family. Uh, a lot of it seen, but an awful lot of it unseen. And when I mean family, I mean all the individuals on this earth.
2: And, and all the other sentient life and exactly. the hierarchical helpers and nature spirits and
1: exactly they're all part they're all part of that some of which i understand some of which i uh, get twinklings of and a lot of it i don't understand we all come from the same source and and there is an interrelationship between
0: our energy uh, with every person on earth
2: Welcome to Future Talk. I'm Zohara Hieronymous a beautiful montage by Nate Thompson, our producer of our former guest, Gary Schwartz, John Hitchcock. Our guest today, Dr. Bill Tiller, Michael Newton, and myself. And having said that our guest today was one of the voices you heard, we have looked at his other books and co-authored works with Walter Dibble. And today, William Tiller joins us to take a look at his latest release, Some Science Adventures with Real Magic, which he says is, quote, The path ahead will be a great new adventure for all of us as we unfold in our beingness, to build our inner sensory systems, infrastructures, and capabilities to balance our outer actions on both this planet and others in the not-too-distant future. I think the author and scientist did a much better job (laughs) of summarizing his book than I could have done. With that said, let us welcome back to Future Talk Bill Tiller. Bill, thanks for being with us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, as always, though. Happy New Year to you. Uh, And
2: to you as well. May it be a wonderful year for you and all of our listeners. Why don't you first summarize what your new work, some science adventures with real magic attempts to do overall?
1: Okay. um, Well, the the choice of the name, of course, comes from uh, Arthur C. Clarke, in principle, um, because he said that any technology sufficiently beyond our own must be considered as magic. And I've paraphrased that to say that any personal observations or instrumental observations that cannot be explained by our conventional paradigm um, must be considered as magic until we expand the paradigm to see the lawfulness of these observations.
2: Well, I... go ahead
1: what I what I basically have always been trying to do is to build a bridge of understanding scientific understanding as well as general understanding that is uh, can seamlessly join with our conventional scientific understanding and pass all the way through the subtle domains to uh, the far shores where, The bridge is firmly embedded in the foundations of spirit and make that bridge reliable enough for humans to walk on it, to eagerly want to walk on it, and to embrace the unfolding adventure. So in this book, basically I have taken the essential pieces of the two earlier books and just um, laid them out in detail in the first chapter of the book so that we see where we're coming from. And this book, per se, then, was dedicated to um, replication of the work in other laboratories uh, here in the U.S. and in Europe. And so the this is what we did in the book, and we were successful with uh, one of the target experiments we have dealt with earlier, and in the process we discovered some important things about information entanglement over very large ranges of distance. Um, We discovered how to measure instrumentally and continuously the degree of elevation of the free energy of the space where we do our work with these intention imprinted electrical devices. And the third thing. The important thing was to show that, uh, humans have their acupuncture meridian chakra system at this higher electromagnetic gauge symmetry level so that humans can and always have been able to radiate these higher qualities which they can, of energies that they can manipulate and modulate with their consciousness so that humans by inner self-development and focus of attention can evolve from we normal folk to adepts, and then from adepts to masters, and then from masters to avatars. We have the fundamental apparatus hardwired within us to do that. So that's what the book is about. It expands, it deals with healing, it deals with a number of other things, but basically these are kind of applications of the general scientific
2: foundation. Well, and, and I think for anybody that looks at your long-lived career, the 30-plus years you spent at Stanford as Professor Emeritus now of Stanford University's Material Sciences, prior work you did at Westinghouse Research. Could you, for the benefit of those maybe not familiar with your work, and let me encourage my audience to go to your website, org. what changed in your own awareness that sort of headed you from this road in material sciences into, I guess, what could best be called psychoenergetic research?
1: Okay, I think the... I've always been interested in these sorts of things, but basically the way things seriously started to change was when um, I was making the transition from Westinghouse Research, where I was doing conventional science, um, to Stanford, where I was going to take on my first Teaching job as a uh, full professor with tenure at Stanford in 1964, and that was when Jean and I, Jean my wife and I, decided that we would start to pull together the spiritual side of her life, and this was at her suggestion. And we we did this in part by um, looking, starting to look at the Edgar Casey work. We had, in fact, started looking at that in the mid-50s, and, but we wanted to get serious about it, and we looked more deeply and um, basically became de- daily meditators back in about 64. Um, I became department chairman at Stanford because the gentleman who hired me in, and I thought would be there for a long time, uh, basically became ill. He had some health problems, and so I was asked to take over because I'd had some managerial experience at Westinghouse, uh, at least with a group of scientists. And and uh, so during the 60s, uh, I was department chair. I did my own science. I did teaching. But I used my meditation techniques that I developed over the years, um, both as uh Department chair with respect to students, but also in my industrial consulting. So that became very strongly ingrained within me. And then when I was, I received a Guggenheim fellowship to go to Oxford to write a couple of books, and uh, we were going to do. We did that in basically uh, about 1970. And on the way to the airport, I picked up this little book called Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain. And I knew this was a valid area, uh, but reading that book, I indicated the scope was much more immense than I had realized. And in the 60s, by the way, was when we became um, interactive with a whole variety of individuals in the psychic community and learned that people with these gifts weren't necessarily spiritual folk. Um, It's something everyone has to learn, but there are a lot of very fine, fine people that we met. Well, anyway, I read this book and I thought, how is it that this sort of crazy-seeming kind of stuff could naturally coexist with the conventional science I was dealing with every day? That is, how might the universe be constructed to even allow that? And when I got to England, I started on the tack that I had intended to do, which was to start writing my books on the science of crystallization, But I couldn't get rid of this idea, this how might the universe So I basically started to set aside my conventional work, and I decided to use the meditative technique to somehow probe this question. So my wife and I would go into meditation every morning for about an hour, and I would hold the brick of this question, Mm -hmm. the things that I didn't know. I had, a, you know, some beginning ideas, but not very much. And I would come out of meditation an hour later with some kind of intuitive feelings, but still very vague. And my wife and I would talk about them. And then I would work all day, um, probing the scientific aspects to see if anything violated the experimental data that had been developed in conventional scientific understanding. And and I was willing to, of course, hold um, theoretical ideas as not necessarily completely correct, um, but to allow possibility that they weren't correct. And so I did this day after day, and at the end of six months, I basically had a picture, a model um, of how the universe might be constructed in order to allow this, Kind of
2: thing to and and if you were to, in a quick fashion, because we have so much to cover, um, w- did the science then that you henceforth did afterwards for these last decades come to describe what intuitively you had been shown? And has there been any major change to what you saw about the workings of the universe as the experiments revealed themselves?
1: I would say there has not been really huge changes.
2: Amazing. There have
1: been. There have been changes in detail, and I've, my thought has gone down certain directions, and I've had to take a right angle turn because I, um, you know, when we when we model things, we assume more mm-hmm. than we should, mm-hmm. and and sometimes you have to invent some new things, either experimental or theoretical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but all in all, the the model is very similar to what it was in. Uh, 1971.
2: It's so beautiful so that you've really used all those capacities you now talk about from a scientific perspective and so you talk about remote viewing and healing at a distance and intuition and if you were to summarize all of those in terms of your model, we have about a minute before break, What what is the model for this?
1: Well, okay, the model that I've come to, and this is just a reference flame, frame for viewing nature, the reference frame is a duplex reference frame embedded in higher dimensions. The duplex, the one part of it is space-time. Duplex is one four-dimensional, or two four-dimensional reciprocal subspaces, making up what I think is the proper reference frame, one of which is space-time. And the other is, therefore, a reciprocal space-time, which is a frequency domain. Um, and that's embedded, that eight space is embedded in the domain of my of emotion which is a nine-dimensional structure that's embedded in the domain of mind, a ten-dimensional, and that in turn is embedded in the domain of spirit.
2: And I'll tell you what, when we come back, we'll spend the rest of the hour being more detailed about it. Our guest, Bill Tiller, and you're listening to Future Talk.
1: The events of the day, but think about them in reverse order recent to the earliest in the day and see how each of those events grew out of or is related to an earlier event in your own daily experience. And by doing that, you'll begin to get some insight into how your own thoughts and your own reactions to the world are interconnected and are causative one of the other.
2: Thank you to, uh, John Algio in those comments. Welcome to Future Talk. I'm Zohara Hieronymus. Joining us today is Dr. William Tiller. Go to tiller T-I-L-L-E-R dot org to stay up with Bill's travels around the world and teaching. His most recent book, Some Science Adventures with Real Magic, can be ordered directly by calling 888 888- two eight one fifty one seventy that's eight 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 two eight one fifty one seventy. Just before the break, Bill, you summarized for us really a construct that took you half a year of meditating every day and then decades of science, which your books attest to, that we live in a ten dimensional universe. Um and then when you develop that model further, how do all of these aptitudes of hearing and seeing at a distance and healing at a distance, things we call psychoenergetics fit into that?
1: Okay. Let's see. The, the thing I, I want you to take what I've just said, which is a reference frame, which is just a, a way of viewing nature so you can understand the phenomena in it. Let's talk about nature itself. all right? And, and, but before I do that, let me make, make a clear distinction between what is establishment science today and what is psychoenergetic science. Establishment science deals with the reaction equation, mass with arrows going back and forth to energy. Basically, we have played with that uh, reaction equation for the last 400 years. And out of that, or what keeps things locked into that, is that the general scientific community have the unstated assumption that no human qualities of consciousness, intention, emotion, mind or spirit can significantly influence the well-designed target experiment in physical reality. Now, on the other hand, if I if I now tell you what I think psychoenergetic science is, it is where you have this reaction equation with arrows going back and forth between mass and energy, but you also have arrows going back and forth between energy and consciousness. So it's in direct opposition to the unstated assumption of science. And so the work that I've been doing is bringing science, uh, um, consciousness, human consciousness, human intention into this larger expanding equation. Because we, in terms of our experience of nature and because of things that are happening at a very deep level of nature itself, nature is we can call it awakening to us, or we are awakening to it as we are growing within ourselves. And by this I mean the following. Um, a few centuries ago when we looked at the phenomena of nature, we had chemical phenomena, we have had electrical phenomena, we had magnetic phenomena, we had all kinds of phenomena, and. To understand them, we used a reference frame of space-time because experience had showed us, shown us that, that distance and time were the important variables for us to make sense of this aspect of nature, all of these things. And then in the last, oh, slowly in the last century, and probably it's been going on all the time, consciousness has been percolating, or something in consciousness, has been percolating to higher levels. So we begin now to have some cognitive awareness of phenomena that are quite outside of this space-time stuff, That that, that really the electric atom molecule stuff that we've been playing with for so long. And because we're starting to see and experience these other things, as you talked about, remote viewing, distant healing, Laying on of hands, uh, seeing auras, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then you have to have a frame of reference for understanding them. And our work uh, came to show unequivocally that the unstated assumption of science was was quite wrong. That is, human consciousness can play a very strong role in altering what we think of as physical reality. And I'll just sort of pop through. Not what we did in detail, but we, as you know, we embedded intention from a deep meditative state into a simple little electronic device, and we then shipped that device 1,500 miles to a laboratory where we already had experiments set up, and we just plugged it into the wall and just waited. We continued to run the experiments, and we found that over one to three months, we saw the experimental data change always in the direction of the experiment and plateaued at the, or the intentions, and plateaued uh, at the pretty close to the region where we had uh, intended.
2: It's an amazing reality. Bill Tiller joins us, and you're listening to Future Talk.
1: that the light that you're seeing from stars at night shows you that the atoms there are exactly the same, absolutely identical with the atoms in your own body, that I think is a very it is a very strange and beautiful realization, and as that comes home to people, it's, I'm hoping that it will help them understand the ways in which they can accept and welcome the other people in the world, yeah. all Shine the things that are strange yeah. to mm-hmm. them, because there is some there's some real kinship or brotherhood at the most fundamental physical level.
2: Welcome to Future Talk. I'm Zohara Hieronymus at the voice of Peter Pesek when we were discussing the body of God of which we are all Members of, don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can get CDs, download MP3s, Uh, particularly when our guests like Bill Tiller join us. I think these are programs you'll want to hear more than once. His most recent book co-authored with Walter Dibble, Jr. and J. Gregory Fandel is entitled Some Science Adventures with Real Magic. You can call 888-281-5170. That's 888-281-5170. Or visit Bill's website, www.tiller.com. E-R.org. So then Bill, in discovering that you could with intention embed a thought to do a particular thing to a material thing thousands of miles away and it works, what next and and what are the questions you're still asking perhaps that your experiments have not yet answered or which have changed even the way you might view things?
1: Okay, let, let me continue to just make a bit of closure on on what I've said before. All right. The we used four target experiments. One was to increase the pH of purified water by one full pH unit, or another one was to decrease the pH of the same purified water by one full pH unit. Our measurement accuracy is one one-hundredth of a pH unit, so the signal we asked for was 100 times the noise. That's a huge effect. We then did an experiment with the biological realm of increasing the thermodynamic activity of a specific human liver enzyme, alkaline phosphatase, and the fourth was to apply it to change the ATP to ADP ratio significantly in the cells of fruit fly larvae so they would become more fit and have a greatly shortened larval development time. We did all four of those successfully. So the first thing to conclude is that the unstated assumption of science that humans can't do these things is quite wrong. The second thing we found was that When we put this simple little device, by the way, its electrical output power is less than one millionth of a watt, but it has consciousness embedded into it, put it in a room and just turn it on, and something changes in the very substratum of the room. It becomes what I call conditioned, and we have probed what that means, and again, I don't have time to go through the details, but it means that we are accessing phenomena that are not at the electric atom-molecule level, they are at the coarse physical vacuum level. That is, the physical vacuum level is the space between the fundamental particles that make up the atoms and molecules. Most of atoms and molecules are empty space, and so I'm saying there is stuff in that space which can be interacted with significantly by human intentions. And so that that's very important because what it says now, in at least in the conditioned space, if you make an experimental measurement, then what you find is there are two parts to it. There's one part that comes from the electric atom molecule level, and there's another part that comes from this coarse physical vacuum level. But in general, we are not able to access that and it's because there appears to be information suggesting that it's because everything goes faster than light at that level, faster than electromagnetic light. And therefore, to join them, you have to have some kind of a coupler. And I think we have uncovered such a coupler. And and the instruments in the laboratory that's been conditioned also become conditioned. And they now are able to respond to signals beyond the light barrier. So we have the normal stuff of slower than light that the instruments always are able to do. And now we begin to probe into that area faster than light which means we're accessing this stuff in the physical vacuum that consciousness can interact with.
2: Oh, just extraordinary. I just you're el- you're so elegant about things that so many people won't understand otherwise. So thank you for your elegance. We'll be right back on future talk.
1: Subtle energies was a term I coined a long time ago to describe the other uh, phenomena, the energies involved in the other phenomena that, that, that were abundant, uh, although conventional science ignored it. And, and so what has come to is that all the subtle energies in my modeling are in the vacuum. So they are all energies in the vacuum that have not yet been explored by conventional science.
2: Welcome to Future Talk. I'm Sohara Hieronymus. That the voice of our current guest when he joined us in 2001. Yes, it's been an ongoing and delightful conversation, one I always look forward to when Bill Tiller can take time out of his schedule to join us. His most recent book, Some Science Adventures with Real Magic, co-authored with Walter Dibble and J. Gregory Fandel. Learn more at www.tiller.org. And if you've just tuned in, I'm Zoe Hieronymus. And you can find all of our guests and our podcasts, our MP3s, etc., at www.futuretalkradio.com. So, Bill, you have now said that your science, based on this modeling that you've done over these four decades or so, uh, you can now see that what some have called empty is really a, a very full um vacuum which is not empty but full of all potential but you need a coupler because the energies we're talking about can move faster than light and yet we don't and the material sciences don't so what is the coupler
1: well okay let me uh, illustrate like a coupler of course is something we're pursuing to nail it down i gave it a name i called it deltrons, uh, particles from the domain of emotion the nine-dimensional domain which can go faster and slower than light they're not, it, since it's outside the domain of relativity, it doesn't have the constraints of relativity theory. So it's it's allowed in that sense. Um, and therefore, the slower-than-light part can interact with the electric atom-molecule substance. The faster-than-light part can interact with the magnetic information wave part. And so the cusp, cup, this particular cup, coupler is important. It's postulated at this point. We're trying to do experiments to test it. But let me make one thing. Let me say one thing, if I can, in a clearer way as as possible. That is, all this stuff at these various levels of reality are going on simultaneously. But if all those outside of space-time are going faster than light, then our instrumentation, as it is in the normal reality, cannot couple cannot access this information. It just goes there. It's as if it's never there. Mm-hmm. And of course, the conventional establishment thinks it's never there. But the couple, once you start having a coupler, then you can go from, I said before that any measurement has two parts. Well, the if you don't have a coupler, then it only has one part. That's the space-time part. But as you bring in this kind of coupler that we've uh, experimentally explored a bit, Um, you can couple to this next level of reality. And thus, it's as if nature was always there for you, but in the past, you only had signals in space-time that you could access. Now you begin to see, in this larger domain, the next level. It's like rungs of a ladder. You begin to see a way to couple between the first rung and the second rung. And as we go forward, then there'll be a third rung and a fourth rung, etc., As we evolve and as we learn the science, we learn to expand the capacities of our instruments, and we learn then very carefully to begin to do science in these new realms. I mean, it's not easy to do science where you have to include human consciousness, because it says that the experimenter is part of the experiment.
2: Right, and, and I think some people are familiar with the observer effect, that anything one looks at to study, their consciousness is already changing what they're looking at.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and so this becomes a, uh, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. I
2: mean, well, we've learned
1: how to do science in the very simplest of cases, that is the space-time science.
2: Well, and, and I think, as Larry Dalsey said uh, about your work, is that you've given um, science a, a way of examining that which the body and the human, the soul in the body, already does. So let's talk a little bit about that, because the things that we automatically do as souls in the body, you're looking for the science to articulate in order to utilize. Would that be a fair way to say that, it? Of
1: course. It's to utilize it uh, first to understand nature and understand ourselves. And then to apply it to make devices, techniques, etc. When you look at the, the amount of energy, latent energy, that's uh, supposed to be stored in the physical vacuum, you see that this will be our future power source. It will come from this domain and it will take us to the star. We don't have the limitation necessarily of the velocity of light. Now, right. it's not going to be easy, it's complex as all. Technology and
2: science. Well, but why? Well, I was curious in some science adventures with Real Magic, your recent book, um, you wrote, I think this is, I may have gotten it wrong, but that there's a steadily increasing Deltron population.
1: That's what I think is happening. And think, and
2: what, A, quickly describe what that means and what's increasing it.
1: Well, I think it's the <laughs> it's the all. It's the consciousness of, of the deeper levels of nature. You can call it God, if mm-hmm. you like, or the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is... We're moving from one epoch to another. Mm-hmm. To explain it properly. I'd have to go through the the concept of the outbreathing and inbreathing of the all, but but I, I don't think we have time for that. Right. So so the thing is that I'll, let's call it a cosmological level mm-hmm. of growth of deltrons is occurring, and that means that coupling is naturally occurring mm-hmm. um, to move us to this next. rung of the ladder to be able to make that climb that level, because we'll be able to interact with that level, because we'll have enough Deltrons that all the instrumentation in the world will begin to be able to reach a little bit beyond the light barrier, and then more, and then more, and then more. Um, That's what our work tends to show. Uh, We have been able to do this, we'll call it big time, um, but eventually the... Well, let's say the cosmic background level will increase. And this is what I think is happening uh, far out in space where we're starting to see acceleration uh, vents amongst the planets rather than what we used to think would be uh, a slowing down um, of, of the expansion of of uh, the universe.
2: And certainly it fits with the perennial wisdom teachings of this day and age and time and our obligation to find the one in the all and the all in the one. And From your own life experience, what has this work brought to you as an individual human?
1: Well, um, I tend to think that it's brought me more awake. (laughs) Um, It brought me much closer to what we're referring to as the all, the communication terms of a deep inner sense of being at one with with the all
2: well who could ask for more than that we'll be back for our closing remarks with our guest dr william tiller and you're listening to future talk Welcome to Future Talk. I'm Zohara Hieronymus. Our guest has been Dr. William Tiller. Let me encourage you to go to his website, Tiller, tille org, where you'll get a very visual explanation of intention and its path of action, D-space, R-space, all kinds of wonderful things, even in terms of how the body suit is a metaphor and why higher dimensional framework can now be understood uh, through the Deltron. And, Bill, you were describing how all of this work and now finding a science to articulate the all so, to speak, that which is invisible but always present has made you as a human more conscious of the all. Was there any question you've begun with in all of this work that you've not yet answered, or a new question you're asking that is what you're tasked to?
1: Well, <clears throat> it's hard to say. I just keep on keeping on, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I have lots of unanswered questions, um, and I. Think about them. I reflect upon them, and the universe has been kind enough to give me insights about them. So I take the next step. I basically have come to trust the universe to lead me where I need to be led.
2: Can you talk about that for a moment? I'm sure there are business people and scientists and other sort of of the material world, so to speak, who might not trust their own intuition or know how meditation can be useful.
1: Well, I th- I think. It's important to say uh, my my view of what consciousness is is that it's a byproduct of spirit entering dense matter, and the working hypothesis I have is that spirit needs infrastructure in the various layers of the bio body suit um, upon which to attach itself, so that that if you don't, and the job of living is to is to keep building infrastructure into the various layers of yourself and thus more conscious, more spirit enters and as more spirit enters you become more conscious, you begin to see others as part of yourself you begin to see the building others you build yourself you begin to see that if you if you're willing to give up your personal ego and put it at the service of a larger self then you can get to the place of having enough trust in the unseen to allow some kind of mm, direction within yourself and trust that things are going to work out all right, even though sometimes they don't look that way. Um, and in this part, you, you begin to grow more and more and more, and you, you are so, become so coupled with others and with the phenomena of nature and the phenomena of the world um, you do indeed recognize that we're all riding the river of life together, um, and we may appear to be quite different in many, many ways. But at the core levels, our spirits are very, very similar. It's just they, some have more experience than others; therefore, they're more awake than others. We we live inside this um, physical wrapper, um, bio bodysuit suit, and thus we interface with space-time. But if you develop these things then and you put your attention on things then you become enlightened about them and you can use those in business use them in human interaction use them in the development of technology
2: you've done a beautiful job of being a way shower for the planet and we all thank you is a production of Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer is Megan Bowen, our show producer and webmaster, Nate Thompson. Visit us online at futuretalkradio.com, download free MP3s of past shows, and listen to any show you want. Visit our media center and our weekly blog. Make use of links to scientists, scholars, and organizations in the guest forum at futuretalkradio.com. And remember, imagine yourself richly, consider others' needs, and take part in shaping tomorrow by looking at the future today.
0: Thank you once again for listening to The Shaman's Brew. And I'd like to remind you to stay tuned for my future shows starting next month uh, that will contain many live interviews with uh, some of the people that you've heard in this show. I also plan on having call-in capabilities. I am going to play this show out with a selection from Peter Phippen's Echoes of the Past album called Days of June. This is Marcus Leader and you have been listening to the Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio.